chapter 2, as we continue to look at this great passage of Scripture in Philippians chapter 2. Our focus this morning is going to be on verses 7 and 8, but I'm going to read the whole passage from verse 1 to 11 for us this morning. Hear now the word of the Lord. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Sends the reading of the word of the Lord. May he bless it to us this morning. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you to hear you speak to us this morning. And Lord, you are not a God who is silent, but you are the only true God who speaks. And your voice has gone out throughout all the earth, proclaiming your glory and what you have made. But Lord, you speak to us uniquely in your word of your grace and your mercy that you have given to us. Lord, we ask that you would show Jesus Christ to us this morning from this passage. Convict us of sin that needs to be repented of. Call us and draw us to follow you by your Holy Spirit that we would live lives to glorify you because of this passage this morning. We ask that you would do all this in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. We are continuing our look at this passage of Philippians 2, uh, that we are called as Christians to have the same mind that Jesus Christ himself had. This is the highest calling that we can have as creatures. And we saw last week that Christ took the likeness of men, and men were created in the image and likeness of God, yet the Son of God took the likeness of man in order to call us and to draw us to now be able to reflect the likeness of God. And this morning I want us to look at, as you may find it titled in your bulletins, our humble Savior. This mind ultimately that we're called to have in this passage is a mind of humility and humbleness. And Paul shows this clearly in its fullest expression this morning from Philippians chapter 2. And I'd like to look at this passage in three different ways, or see the three things that are laid out for us of Christ's humility, is that he came as a man, 
He obeyed no matter what the cost. And he died on a cross. It's an unlikely Christmas sermon that we would focus on the cross, yet here we have the full extent of Christ's life on earth, that he was born as a man and died on a cross in a few verses. And that's what I would like us to see this morning, the humility of our Savior that's proclaimed to us today. So firstly, he came as a man. This phrase that's given to us here, it says, and being found in human form. What does it mean that Jesus was found in human form? Well, I believe this is an allusion to Christ or a reflection on Christ's whole life. This phrase, being found, to find him, comes up uniquely in Jesus' birth at the time of Jesus coming to this world. Matthew, I'm going to read a few passages to you to help you hear this in Scripture. Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Jesus, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 2. And Herod sent to them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I may too come worship him. Mark chapter 1, the beginning of Mark's gospel. And Simon said to those who were with him and searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. Luke chapter 2. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. John, at the beginning of his gospel, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him, whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. See, what makes the coming of the, son of, the, of, of the Son of God into the world so surprising is that unless people were told who He was, they would not have known. People would not have known that God had come into the world unless they were told that He was found as a man. Jesus was truly human being. So much so that simply by looking at Jesus, all you would see is a human being. And then people discovered that he was the Son of God. Whether people told them through angels or whether he revealed that to them in his works and what he told them. And so Jesus proved himself to be a true human being when he came to this world. But his coming into this world was humble. And that's why it's so astonishing. Aside from his parents, Scripture only records a handful of people who knew about Jesus' coming into the world when he was first born. Simeon, Zechariah, and Elizabeth, the Magi, and a few shepherds. That's all. A handful of people knew that God had sent his deliverer, who was God himself, into this world. God descended to this world, and less than a dozen people were aware of it. And when they came to him, what did they find? As we read in that passage from Luke, 
a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Is it any wonder later in Jesus' life why he says, Blessed is he who is not offended by me. Because as the King James translates part of this passage in Philippians, it says that he made himself of no reputation. And we see what that looks like for Christ. When the angels appear to the shepherds, shepherds, they see men themselves who have no reputation. And when they come to the stable, what do they find? A man of no reputation. A mere child to their eyes. A baby lying in a feeding trough. And this is firstly what is commended to us in the mind of Christ. To make ourselves of no reputation. See, mankind strives for nothing less than this. We want to be exalted. We want our name to be proclaimed. We want us We want ourselves to be recognized by others as important, as beautiful, as smart, as wise, as powerful. But it's one of the greatest contradictions of even this season. There is beauty all around us. But when Christ came into the world, there was no beauty. Yes, there was proclamations of angels, But in himself, there was nothing beautiful. Just humble and lowly, lying in a feeding trough. But this is not where Christ ceased. In his humble attitude, in his humble mind when he came to earth. It did not stop there. See, it was not merely the presence of humility in his mind, but he also conducted himself and humility in his life. That he obeyed no matter what the cost. And that's where our text goes next this morning. See, now that the Son of God has taken human form, and men discovered that he was truly a man, what did Jesus do? Did he exalt himself? He is the Son of God. He could do this. He could demand this. He could say, everybody come to me, bow down, and worship me. He could call down the angels, just as he told Pilate, that he can call down angels to his defense, and they would worship him in that moment. Did he come to make men servants of himself? Now I've come to earth as a man, now you all come and serve me and glorify me. Is that what Jesus did in his ministry on earth? No. Paul tells us that he humbled himself. Even though he had this divine right, even as a man, to demand all heaven and earth to serve him, what was his duty? What was his actions? The text tells us something interesting, that he became obedient. Obedient. The one before whom this whole world must submit, he became submissive. He became submissive to the will of his Father, and he became submissive to the law. 
Christ came to show in himself that he would live the way that all mankind had thrown off from themselves. We are unsubmissive people. We do not like submission. Our whole government is founded upon this very fact. That men do not like to submit to one another. So we all decide together. Paul in Ephesians calls mankind the sons of disobedience. But that's what we are by nature. We are disobedient by nature. We not only refuse to submit to God's law, as Romans chapter 8 says, we cannot. We are incapable of rendering true obedience to God in ourselves. Children, maybe you know this distinctly in your lives today. Do you know the command that is in the Old Testament? Children, obey your parents. Have your parents reminded you of this command? I'm sure they have. And do you know that everybody, before they believe in Jesus, is disobedient to God? You're not alone. Your parents, your teachers, your siblings, your pastor. We are all those who, apart from Jesus Christ, are disobedient to God. But Jesus Christ gave himself willingly and freely to be obedient. And to be obedient no matter what it cost him. See, obedience at first seems to cost us our freedom and our dignity. When we have to obey someone or the laws, we're no longer free to do what we want. Somebody else is telling us what to do. There is a sign posted on the freeways telling you what to do, how fast you are permitted to go, and you find out very quickly if you transgress those laws. You certainly are free to disobey them, but you are also free to suffer the punishments. The dignity of a king, which is Jesus Christ's rightful authority, is that he does not have to submit to others. He can tell other people what to do. This is your responsibility. You must submit to me. And this is, why dif- this is why obedience is so often difficult for us. Because we want to be kings. We don't want to have to deny ourselves. We do not want to have to live in submission. Yet Christ, as God and King of all this universe, was not too dignified to submit himself to obedience. Kids, when your parents tell you, clean your room, why is it so hard to obey? Well, it's quite simple, because you want to do something else. You want to keep playing with your toys. You want to keep watching a show. You want to go outside. Or you just simply don't want to clean your room. You will find anything in this world possible to do instead of doing the very thing your parents ask you to do. And parents, we laugh, but we are just like children. Our forms of disobedience are much more sophisticated. We want to play with our toys, our phones, our computers, our hunting rifles, our new clothes, and the list goes on. 
And when things get in the way of our enjoyment and pleasure and happiness, what do we do? We find a million different ways to evade what we are called to do. How willingly do we lay aside the things that we're commanded to do and we ought to do, we are supposed to do? How willingly are we? How willing and how often do we do that? But this is the astonishing thing that our Savior did in His work that He was not obligated to do this for us. But He put Himself under that yoke willingly to do for us what we cannot and are incapable in ourselves of doing. Jesus submitted himself to obedience for you and I because our lives are marked entirely by disobedience. But Jesus' obedience is far removed from our obedience. It's on a whole other level. It is almost untouchable in a, in a way. Because Jesus laid aside the glory of God. We do not live in that state. And he laid aside this glory, as the text tells us, obedience to the point of death. Laying aside the robes of a king and taking on the rags of a servant. None of us can ultimately do what Jesus Christ has done. Neither in kind or degree. But it goes even deeper. Jesus' humility penetrates to its utmost depths. It is as if his humility was not low enough already. Clothing himself as a servant, as a slave, as that word is literally translated, he obeys even though it costs him his very life. And now we come to the greatest depths of Jesus Christ's humility. He dies on a cross. That Jesus Christ dies on a cross. See, it's not simply that Jesus came clothed in humility. As Isaiah chapter 53 says, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. He was clothed with humility in his life. Mankind looked at Jesus and they thought to themselves, this cannot be God in the flesh come to save us. This is not how we expect God to come to us. Yet this is precisely what Jesus Christ did. It's not just in what he appeared to be, but in what he actually did in his life. And his life of obedience went to the utmost depths of humility that it could possibly go. 
He went to death upon a cross. The cross was an instrument of death devised to utterly humiliate those who received it as judgment. There is probably no other instrument of humiliation devised by men than what a cross was. Today we wear crosses as a sign of honor. We put them on gravestones. We put them on top of mountains. Yet in that time, a cross was the chief form of disgrace. Some people compare an electric chair to a cross. We don't put electric chairs out in the public display for everybody to see when somebody suffers that punishment. A cross is unique. It is a public display of disgrace where the worst sort of criminals were put on display for all people to see to warn them, do not follow in the path of this man. This is death and destruction for you. Yet the Son of God, freely and willingly, publicly bore all the shame and disgrace that you and I deserve because of our sins. Because we have actually walked that path of wickedness. Our wickedness needs to be put on display and judged before all people. But what God does in Jesus Christ is He puts Him forward as the one who bears all of that disgrace before all the world to see And not just this world, all of heaven. Everything that God created witnesses the public disgrace of Jesus Christ on a cross. And this is what Jesus Christ did in order to save us. It was the only thing that he could do to save us. There was no other way. He was willing to go to whatever lengths it took, whatever humiliations we put upon Him in order to save you and I. Death was the mark of Jesus Christ's life. It was what was anticipated from the moment He came into the world. Listen to what Luke chapter 2 says. Mary gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now you may say, how do you see death there? Well, Luke did. Luke saw death, that this is a picture of actually Jesus' humiliation. Wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Because at the end of Jesus' life, after he dies on a cross, what happens? Joseph, a disciple of Jesus from Arimathea, comes and he takes the body of Jesus down from the cross. This is what Luke records for us. And he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone, where no one had ever yet been laid. 
It's not too far to assume that no baby had ever been laid in a feeding trough. And here Jesus Christ is laid into a tomb which no person had ever been laid. The beginning of his life is being wrapped in linen. The end of his life is being wrapped in linen. The beginning of his life is being laid in humility and the end of his life is being laid in humility. Jesus was born into this world in humility and he died in this world in humility. And he did all this because it was the only way to save you and me. And he did not turn away from it for one moment. We marvel at this time of year at the incarnation of Christ. Yet for Jesus to come into this world, to become incarnate, was an act of humility. It was the purpose of God of sending him into this world. And he came into this world to live in humility so that he could give his life away. And give his life to you and me who have no life in ourselves, who are dead in our trespasses and sins. This is what it means for Jesus Christ to become a man. This is what it means for him to live in obedience to the point of death, even death on a cross. Because life only comes through him, our humble Savior. And this is what Paul is calling us now to have that same kind of mind ourselves. It is impossible. We cannot ultimately have the exact same mind as Christ in the way that he did because we cannot do what he did. But we can think like he did. To be humble. To lay aside all of the things that we think make us important. And willingly give our lives for the sake of others. But we cannot do this apart from Christ. It is only as we know and believe what Jesus Christ has done for us. That we can even begin to do that. And so friends, brothers and sisters today. Believe in Jesus Christ. Believe that he is your humble savior. That he spared no cost for you. He was willing to undergo all of the shame and disgrace for your sake. And if you don't know Christ today, believe in him. Believe that he can be your savior from your sins that you cannot save yourself from. That he takes them away in himself when he died on that cross. And as we sing over and over in this Christmas season about joy, you can know this joy that Jesus Christ brings. That humility is not something to run from, to be afraid of, but as later in Ephesians or in Philippians, we see that it is the path to glory. So believe in Jesus Christ today. Rest in the salvation that he has provided in himself. And reflect the mind that he has shown for all of us to have. Let's pray.
Our Father in heaven, we are unworthy people. Yet you have made us worthy through Jesus Christ. And Lord, how often we find it difficult to humble ourselves. Help us to look at Jesus and to see his humility. Help us to reflect that in our lives as he did throughout his entire life. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. And we praise you for giving us a Savior who endured everything for our sake and suffered all the disgrace. We praise you, Lord Jesus. You are glorious because of your suffering for our sake. Help us to walk in obedience to you as you have walked in obedience yourself. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.